scene one. I woke up on Saturday morning extremely happy. I smoked what remained of my previous night's embassy light cigarette. I took a shower. The water was cold, but my body was warm. My thoughts were elsewhere. I surveyed my body on the mirror and foolishly smiled. I concluded that I am the portrait of an African man. The African version of Brad Pitt on a mission to get the African version of Angelina Jolie. I dressed up, wearing those second rags that President Uhuru Kenyatta wants to ban. Cheap blue jeans, white t-shirt, and red jacket. I applied my cheap cologne, but forgot to brush my teeth. Or what remains of my dental formula. I careered my way to a friend's office, sticking my neck out like a plutonium detector searching for radioactive signals while listening to TLC's raunchy red light special, Celine Dion's The Power of Love, and Tupac's I Wonder Why They Call You songs. In the office, I dozed off. Until an SMS woke me up. You, it said, rather condescendingly, leaving me with a sense of bewilderment. No, it was confusion. No, again. It's the feeling a young woman gets when she starts menstruating, or a young boy experiencing his first sting of wet dreams. Last time on Kiss Number Zero. On Saturday, wakati investigate ili happen, mimi ni ilikuwa na mesafiri kwenda Bomet. Kurudi Monday, ndiyo nikauliza kazi ni yangu Videlis, ama amemona. Hakanyambia from that Monday, hakuwa mekuja kwa nyumba. Tiyo nisasa nikaanza kumfata. Nailing down the exact date and time when Bogonko went missing, is really the first step in understanding this maze of a story. But, most importantly, getting to understand the man as well. Basically, while I was still in London, I got telephone messages, text messages from a good mutual friend who said, where is this man proceeding? And initially, I, I sort of dismissed it as, you know, maybe the guy is looking for proceeding, he's not replying to his calls or anything. Then when it got persistent, second day, so I jokingly, I told the guy, what do you think? Do you think I brought him in my suitcase to London? I mean, London is obviously in Nairobi. I must have been among the last people to see him. If Bogongo can disappear, what about you? Less than a thousand people know of his disappearance. What about us? What about me for doing this video? This is the story of the disappearance of journalist turned blogger Bogongo Bosire. In this episode, we delve into the life of the man. Imani ni dago usipeni aroduto omio apari sechete
Bogonko's life story starts as an adventure and ends as a mystery. This is the life chronicle of a journalist who gained notoriety and then vanished without a trace. Bogonko always stood out because everything about him could not fit in. Bogonko was of medium height and built, had a light complexion, a permanently shaggy beard and a moustache that would cover around the edges of his mouth, reminiscent of cowboys. For a man in his early 30s, he at times looked much older for his age, especially following his frequent binge-drinking episodes. He had two missing upper front teeth that could not go unnoticed, and he always seemed to have fresh wounds on his face that were a permanent reminder of his passion for drinking and his unapologetic and usually unsolicited opinions. When he walked into any room, he carried with him the stale smell of the bar he seemed to have just left. He would wear the same clothes for days on end, and this look was never complete without his favorite jacket that seemed to tell the story of his life. But for a man whose physical appearance painted a deeply flawed man, his casual personality and demeanor painted a picture of a man who was comfortable in his skin. He had simple needs that he proclaimed to anyone who cared to listen. Guinness and sportsman cigarettes. For a man whose physical appearance seemed ill-suited for any professional engagement, it is his mind that opened doors, gave him a seat at the table and elevated him to be in the company of the most respected men and women in the land. His quick wit, his grasp of issues, his insurmountable wealth of knowledge and the unapologetic manner in which he engaged people ensured he was always great company to be around when discussing issues. He had searching eyes and a keen ear that made him the exceptional journalist he was. When he could not find stories, stories would find him. And with his unparalleled mastery of the English language, nothing that left his laptop was short of explosive. Here's Carol Kimutai, a longtime friend of Bogonko Bosire. My friendship with Bogonko was actually quite intellectual, apart from the, when we talked about the stories in his blog, which was lazy. Um, we had an intellectually stimulating uh, meeting and discussions. Vincho, my producer on this story, has been Bogonko's friend since their college days at KMC. He did a very good job describing Bogonko and how he was different things to different people. I spent uh, quite some time with a lot of people and came to the conclusion that uh, he was indeed an enigma. No one person can claim to have fully known him because he was many things to different people. For example, his friend Khadija describes him as a man ahead of his time. I, I actually don't remember when I first met him, but he was... Um, he was somebody you cannot ignore. Like if you're in a room or in a class, he was one person, I think, if you ask anybody from our cohort, they would know Bogongo. He had that um, presence of urgency, irritation, as if 
there was something important he needed to prove or do other than what everybody else was doing at that point in time. Think of him as someone who would either be a genius or in, in the right environment or a complete failure in a totally unsuitable environment. And to his desk but Peggy, he was a walking contradiction. She describes him as someone who in one minute could be quite friendly and in the next just bully you like you you wouldn't say coming. He was friendly to everyone and anyone and everyone knew him and he knew everyone in that school or wherever we went to. He used to love smoking, he used to love gossiping. <laughs> he used to like making fun of people and if he knew something about you, he would try to help if it's a, a situation. If it's a gossip, then he would somehow use it to get something out of you. Ah, and one story I remember actually, it's through Kate. Kate was telling me that one day, her mom came to visit and, and she couldn't find Kate, but Bukonko was there. And so she, he asked, uh, Mama, unatafta nani? Then he says, I mean, she says, ah, I'm, I'm looking for Kate, my daughter. Kate who? Kate Nyaga. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Uyo. How? She's not even in school. That one is never in school. She must be somewhere, partying somewhere. So they had this conversation and then uh, the mom was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going to leave you this money for Kate. Give it to her. It was about 600 bob. And the next thing, Kate knows that Mugonko is here telling her, oh, your mom was here and she left this money for you, giving her only 300 bob instead of the 600 bob. And to his family, Mugongo came from a big family. Uh, he had two sisters and two brothers. So it was five of them. They spoke of him as being a loving brother and a caring son. I talked to his sister Winnie at length uh, of their shared bond as siblings. He's a very good boy, especially to me. Wakati sababu college fee, yeli ndi alijua. Wakati nilikuwa na msiba, alinisaidia. School fees ya mtoto, alinisaidia. Nilikuwa napata kazi, nilikuwa na mpigia simu. Atai msata nakumuka nalia. Depending on who you ask, Bogonko was either of the three things. A walking contradiction, a genius or a loving man to his family. Bogonko Bosire was born in Kuresoi, Molo constituency, Nakuru County. He schooled mainly in Kisi County. He joined Standard 1 at four years old and graduated from Nyansiongo High School at the age of 17. While in high school, he founded a school magazine. He secured an admission to Igaton University but turned it down to pursue a childhood dream of becoming a journalist. His mother says best from here. You could tell he was very interested in journalism and he would say to me, look mom, if you see me writing for these smooth paper magazines, just know I have made it. One day he disappears and we're wondering where Bogongo is and then we hear he's in Molotown. He was selling newspapers. So I went to look for him and found him 
and I asked him, Shall we go home or will you continue selling these newspapers? He said he would sell newspapers and read them, as I want to really be a journalist. After a short while, he followed up with Kenya Institute of Mass Communication. He was accepted and brought me the letter of admission. And he told me he was needed in school by the next Monday. And he had brought the news on a Friday. So I asked him, how can it be possible on Monday? Do you even have the money? He says, try and see what you can be able to do by Monday. The fee is 70,000, but find me even 35,000 and I'll be allowed to study. After that, he never bothered us with money for fees. No, he was very active and ambitious. So he would look for his own fees, he would go look for computer-related jobs or any jobs and get paid. Peggy Mbiyu, his deskmate, who Vincho just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, who had from earlier, recalls their first day at KMC. I first met Bogonko in uh, Kenya Institute of Mass Communication at the reception where we were um, registering ourselves to start classes. I remember it was just the two of us and they got to, we got to fill in the applications together and we were sent to the same place to go pick up our desks. He was so different, he was not like anyone at noon and he was quiet. I don't know why I always remember that moment when we met that time. The quiet man that Peggy met soon showed his extroverted side. He was one of the founders of the KMC student magazine, of which he was the editor. Vincho, so we we get to know about a little more about Bokonko Bosiri and his time and his contradicting personality and his genius and a family man. Are we missing anything? Have we said, have we painted the correct picture of the man, would you say? In college, Mbugongo was anything but stellar. Everyone knew him because he was notorious. A master agitator who constantly challenged the administration. I remember two incidents when he was almost expelled from KMC. And I suspect those were not the only ones. He constantly mocked us, his classmates, pointing out our flaws and challenging us to be better humans. And honestly, most of the time it felt like a borderline harassment. When confronted about this, he'd say, I am not harassing you. It's just that I know you can do better and you're not living up to your potential. So I have to challenge you to do better. And this is the only way I know how. College for him was a means to an end. His end goal was to join the ranks of great journalists. He's one of the few people that I know who had clarity on the direction that they wanted their life to take at the age of 19. He did not care for most of the courses offered at school, except for the journalism courses. And one day, when asked uh, by a professor why he did not take a marketing exam, he told the professor that his ambition was not to work for carrying it, but to be a journalist. He was not in college to learn, but to network and get his foot in the right door. And that he did. 
I secured an internship to an international news agency. Interesting you say a means to an end, because that means to an end becomes a recurring theme with Bogonko as, as a person. And, and in the next chapters, you'll get to hear more about how he would simply move on to situations because they were simply a means to an end. But most importantly, this sort of personality he created and a vision that he created helped him to go to the next chapter from KMC. The French news agency, AFP, hired Bogonko during his final year of college. Denis Wamsarigu, a top investigative journalist in Kenya and former college mate, explains his meteoric rise in the world of journalism. I can't tell you when I first met Bosire, but I can tell you the kind of person I saw when I met him first. Um, he was dressed in some torn jeans and some funny t-shirt and his hair was a bit shaggy and um, he was a very loud guy and um, happy-go-lucky man. That is the first impression I got of Bogonko. And the next time I saw him was at Londra House um, filing a copy for an international news agency. One of Bogonko's earliest assignments at AFP was to cover Kenyan constitution reform. He was young and eager to establish himself as a journalist. Tom Maliti, a journalist and former Associated Press correspondent, was Bogonko's friend. He met Bogonko as an intern and saw him rise through the ranks. He talked to us about Bogonko's early days as a rookie journalist. The first time I met Bogonko Bosire, I believe was 2005, as the country was uh, preparing for a referendum on uh, the constitution. And at the time he was uh, an intern with uh, the Agence France Press in their Nairobi office. And we, I saw him at a news conference that I was also attending that had been called by the National Council of Churches of Kenya. The Secretary General at the time, Reverend Mutawa Musimi, was the one who addressed the news conference. And Bogonko was one of the few journalists asking questions. But not only was he asking questions, but he was relentless. He kept on uh, trying to get the Secretary General to be more clear about certain issues. I, I think one of the issues then was whether what position the church, especially the National, National Council of Churches, as the, as the umbrella group of Protestant churches, what their position would be in the, in the referendum. And then questions around uh, the heated campaigns that had started. And I, I walked up to him and after the news conference and uh, you know, I, I said, you know, it's, it's a good thing that you're, you're, you're being that uh, relentless, uh, the, keep up the spirit. Um, next time maybe you want to think about the kind of angles you want to pursue. Because some of the questions he asked were, were a bit repetitive, but in, in, in the right spirit. His love for books turned Bogonko into one of the finest Kenyan journalists of his generation. He could whip up a news copy fast and effortlessly. This came in handy, working at a news agency where milliseconds can be the difference between success or failure. It's about bylines, headlines, scoops. That's all that matters in newsrooms. He enjoyed the adrenaline rush that came with it. One such story that he pursued and covered with passion 
was the South Sudan peace process. He spent so much time with the principles that they came to trust him. And soon afterwards, um, he then covered the Sudan peace process for Agence France Press. At the time, the, the talks uh, between the two parties, uh, the government in Khartoum and uh, the rebel group uh, based in uh, Rumbek, uh, the Sudan People's Liberation Movement, had reached, call it a stalemate, and the way that the talks could be unlocked was if the, the top leadership met, and they did, and they, they spent uh, some, some, some weeks in uh, Naivasha, and the top leadership, meaning the, the chairman of the Sudan, Sudan People's Liberation Movement at the time, John Garang, and uh, the first vice president of Sudan at the time, uh, Osman Alitaha. And uh, uh, Bosire was uh, the person who represented the uh, Agence France Press uh, for much of that time. In fact, amongst journalists, he was the one who spent the most time covering those talks because I think there was a time he would spend a month or two at a stretch uh, staying in Naivasha and just sending his daily uh, reports uh, back to Nairobi. So he got to know the players well, they got to know him well, they, were, they got to be on first, first name basis. And I, I think even up to today, if you say the name Bogonko Bosire, uh, many key leaders of uh, the Republic of South Sudan today will uh, know the name and uh, have respect for the name. Journalism was at the core of Bogonko's identity. His job at AFP was his raison d'etre. That's his reason for being. He barely went home. He operated between AFP and Porterhouse, a bar and restaurant on Mamangina Street, right across from International Lifehouse, where AFP was formerly located. With time, he developed a mentor-mentee relationship with Papu, the proprietor of Porterhouse. Because he was the kind of guy, once you knew him, you felt you had known him all, all your life. Having a drinks with a lot of uh, the AFP crowd. And, and in fact, my first reaction was, uh, is this guy okay? And is he, is he even going to be able to pay these bills? He's being very generous. And, and that was the first time. And then uh, that journalism thing is what built a bond between him and me. There was kind of mutual respect. A lot of people found him too loud, obnoxious. But I was treating him almost like a younger sort of uh, journalist brother because I'd seen a lot of them. A lot of the great journalists of Kenya, they were real characters. And their uh, drinks was always a flaw with them. And I could see Bosire was going exactly the same way. He was a young guy, but he was a very sharp journalist. So we had a good banter between us. Uh, I'd at times advise him, you can't do this, you should do it this way, and he would come to me likewise when he needed help. And from that, it built a trust. A uh, lot of people thought uh, differently of him, but he was a very good man as far as uh, uh, he was a genuine man. If he borrowed money, he would return money. Porterhouse was not your regular bar. This was a spot where Kenyan thinkers congregated after work. Moses, its longest-serving barman told us that the major clientele of Porterhouse worked in banking and legal sectors, and that there were many nights of heated debates on the direction our country was heading. Moses tells us that bartending there was like a crash course on the Kenyan government systems. Several elite journalists 
patronize the porterhouse, Tomaliti was one of them. Porterhouse, when it, when, it, when it was still in existence, was opposite International House, where the AFP Nairobi office was. And uh, Bogonko had been going there from his, from his days at AFP. But Porterhouse in and of itself was also an interesting place in the sense that you had uh, lawyers, PR people, advertising people, odd man, odd woman of town showing up and, uh, you know, light, lighting up uh, the, the, the place with a good conversation. And the owner encouraged it. Uh, the owner uh, um, is a man called uh, Papu. That was the nickname and that was how everybody knew him. His, formal, his, form, his family name is uh, Grewa. His father played for the East African uh, cricket team, I think 75 or something like that. And in fact, the, the, the walls of uh, Porterhouse had memorabilia of cricket, uh, cricket bats, uh, things. I, I think there, was, uh, there may have been a bat or two signed by you know, uh, cricket players who were touring or something like that. And it was a place that, for instance, I would go to uh, on occasion of a lunch hour to go and watch cricket especially World Cup cricket and Papu, uh, you know, because of his father, but also because he himself was a cricket lover, would also encourage that. So this is a meeting place of, of many people um, and it was a place for, you know, good conversation, uh, but also uh, good contacts. It is the kind of environment where Bogonko thrived. Many a times, Bogonko would engage in debates and switch sides mid-argument. He could change sides in an argument and be as convincing when he was on the other side. And a few other people here who were his good friends, he would argue with them like mad and you think these two guys are not going to talk tomorrow. Porterhouse or graveyard as Bogonko had nicknamed the bar was a second home to him. If Papu was like a big brother to him, then the barmen were like cousins. A close relationship with Moses one of the longest-serving bartenders at Porterhouse. Moses remembers him as an intelligent and generous person who would surprise him from time to time. Mimi, I was a fan of Bako. I was going to discuss what I was going to say about Bako. Jordan, general, very relaxed. Very relaxed. What was it? Centering his life around a bar made it easier for Bogonko to become an alcoholic. He became dependent on liquor. Akikuja always is drunk. Akikuja sober, atakuja sambili p.m. But his alcoholism was affecting his work as a journalist. Tom Maliti witnessed firsthand how Bogonko went from being a top-rated journalist to a man who could not handle his liquor. We continued to interact because uh, invariably he covered many of the stories that I covered in Nairobi. I was working for the Associated Press, he was working for Agence France Press. But the next uh, sort of milestone was the Serena talks uh, that were mediated by Kofi Annan after the disputed uh, presidential election of December 2007. 
and uh, Bogonko by then had gotten into drinking heavily. And one day there was a development where the talks could either break down or the mediator Kofi Annan would come and say, okay, we, we hit a bump, but uh, we are now back on track. And that was going to be a major uh, news story. And uh, Bogonko had showed up drunk in the morning. And then he proceeded to continue drinking. And eventually, at some point, he blacked out mid-morning. And the hotel staff then uh, put him outside on, in, in the garden of uh, the Serena Hotel compound. So I called uh, his colleagues in the Nairobi office of AFP and said, look, it's possible that there may be breaking news today, but your man is out of it, so please come get your man and send somebody to replace him. So that's when I saw now uh, Bogonko declining in, in terms of the way he, he, he cared for himself. I had not known him as a heavy drinker before. I had not known him to um, sort of let go that way. I had known him to be a serious-minded reporter, uh, a news hound. The expression news hound can apply to him. He, he was always uh, pursuing the news, interested in the news, um, always looking for new angles to the same story. He was well-read, widely read. Around this time, FP involved his family in staging an intervention. John Mark. Alitwita, mimi na dadangu mkubwa. Akatwambia ndugu yenu tunampenda sana. Ni mrefu, tuko tayari kumpoteza from kazini. Lakini akiendelea itabia ya kulewa, tutakuwa na no option to At this point, AFP took him to rehab. Nilienda pale mwenyewe, akaniambia, sijui nini, akaniambia among the people you are seeing here. Sisi wote wenyewe natuona hivi, niwaenda wazimu. Unfortunately, the stint in rehab did not change him. In the end, it would be the drinking that cost him his job at AFP. At this time, he, he had now started you know, losing it, declining, and I think this continued for a while. AFP were, were good employers in that sense that they um, instead of letting him go, they, they actually did try to rehabilitate him. I think they put him into rehab at least once I know, I, I know of. Next time on Case Number Zero. Bogonko always wanted a girl who was one-legged. That was his fantasy. If you have any tips or questions and even suggestions about this story series that you are currently running about the disappearance of Bogonko Bosire, you can email us at case0 at gmail.com or find us on our social media pages. Case number zero is hosted by me, James Smart, additional reporting, Vinchon Chogu, Production House, Supersonic Africa, Sound Engineer, Muna Chuba, Video Editor, Sharon Ongayo, Theme music, Brian Sigu, voice artist, Yafesi Musoke, producers, Vinchon Choku and James Smart. Consultant to producers, Abdullahi Boru, impact producer, May Lebo, script consultants, Chachi Lotieno and Monica Ndogo. If you like case number zero, leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they drop.
Imani ni dago, usiepe ni aroduto Omiyo wapari sechete Imani ni dago ya Usiepe ni aroduto Nunge wapari sani Fii